Hey, everybody. Welcome to the green room of Disrupt TV. And this is where we actually interview everybody before the interview. Um, I've got an amazing co-host, Bala Ashar. He's on the other end here. And we've got L, our producer. But we're going to introduce our guests real quickly. I'm going to ask them where they're coming in from today. And of course, what are we going to be talking about? So Russ, where are we coming in from? And what do you've got for us? Uh, I'm, I'm dialing in from St. Petersburg, Florida. Ooh, St. Pete's. Very, very nice. And we're going to be talking about evolution intelligence, right? Yep. Okay. How we actually progress and move there. All right. And Mark, where are you coming in from? What are we talking about? Hi, Ray. I'm coming in from the Garden State of New Jersey. Uh, that's where I'm coming from. But I'm going to talk about uh, our sustainable AI. And I'm going to talk about what companies and what the world needs to do to move to the next stage, which I call planetary AI. So it's no longer Ooh. generative AI, human-centric AI. It's planetary AI. So thank you very much, guys. Oh, good, good, good. Frank, where are we coming from? What are we talking about? Hi, Ray. I'm dialing in from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Go Birds. Playoffs on Monday. And uh, I'll be talking about uh, generative AI and LLMs with a focus on commercial goodness and applications, as well as startup life, as my startup was recently acquired by Varen about a year ago. And we were an AI startup. And I've sold two in five years, been very lucky. And so have some learnings there to share as well. Very, very cool. You have to tell us where you got, where the next one's going to be. So we'll we join you. <laughs> 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 well, hey, welcome, everybody. We're going to kick off. And back to you, Elle, for the count. All right. Three, two, one. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on X slash Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Ray is a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC. He's one of the most influential people to follow on X at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. And as you know, this is our co-host, Bala Astro, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of the new book, Boundless. If you haven't read that, it's an amazing book about mindset for unlimited business success, and it's available right now. Um, executives around the world follow him for his inspirational tweets and, of course, his insightful knowledge and insights uh, you're talking about at keynotes, uh, whether it's events at Salesforce or while you're speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and, more importantly, 
his insightful analyses of many times this show on ZDNet. But as I always say, it's not about us. It's about you and our amazing guests. And who do we have to kick off our conversations about technology today? It's a privilege for us to have an incredible entrepreneur, former CEO, and now an amazing evangelist, uh, Frank Schneider, Vice President, AI Evangelist at Variant. Uh, Frank serves as AI Evangelist for Variant, where he focuses on educating customers and the market about benefits of all things AI, including conversational AI, generative AI, and Variant's DaVinci AI platform. Frank is a teacher researcher at heart who has fervent curiosity for innovative technology and ideas that solve real world business challenges. Frank comes to Variant through the acquisition of Speakeasy AI where he was co-founder and CEO. Frank has more than 20 years of experience consulting and leading cloud and digital transformation initiatives with intelligent automation and customer journey orchestration. Welcome, Frank, to Disrupt TV. Love speaking to a fellow evangelist. Welcome. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I've known of you both for a while, obviously. You guys are legends in the space. Vala, I, I can't think of how many of your tweets that I've loved and liked over the last couple of years. So I'm really honored to be on with both of you a little bit. I'm not often intimidated. I'm like, man, I, I better come correct today. I, I can't. Uh, I, listen, I, I mean, uh, You've had two companies successfully sold, and you're an incredible entrepreneur. The pleasure is all ours. And believe you me, I'm also intimidated. So thank you for joining. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, Great to be here. Really we're really excited it. to have you here. And, and part of it is really just, you know, like, this is the opportunity to share, see what's heading out there, right? With the top of the year, 2024, uh, Gen AI is still hot a year later. This is good. Right. That means this trend is going to stick. But I'm kind of curious, what are your predictions, right? Are LLMs it? Are we going to get smaller yeah. models? Are we end up with data collectives or model marketplaces? So lay it on the line. Where do we see 2024 and how's it going to shape up? I feel like my first prediction, which is a good caveat, is whatever prediction I have, I'm going to change it within three to six weeks. Like everything else in this space, it's been outrageous. Um, At least you know, hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I often find myself in a position of when I think about the future or the next 12 months in generative AI now, what, what's not going to happen as opposed to what's going to happen, right? Um, you know, I think about, you know, that quote by Paul Krugman that he gets beat up for all the time about, you know, by 2025, the internet will be like the fax machine impact, essentially, right? And every time someone says something else is overhyped and going to die, that quote resurfaces as what not to do, right? Um, so, you know, I, one thing I'm sure of is that this is not hype. Like, I, I'm just very confident that, this is transformative. And, you know, Vale, we've been talking about, we've been digitally transforming for 20 years. Uh, now it's time to business transform and, and you know, employee transform. And so, so I, I'm very excited what that means. So, so you know, more, more tangibly things that you can touch um, and everything I think has a dual-sided coin. You know, I, I think that models are going to become more closed, whereas in the past they've been more open. And I think that yep. due to special interest and sort of the big, the big folks, no, no offense to Salesforce, who I know, I, you know, I, I'm with a visionary from Salesforce, but I think certain people are going to try to tighten things up um, because ultimately, as just like with cloud infrastructure, as things become cheaper and less expensive and someone sorts out, gosh, the startup that sorts out GPUs and, and storage, man, that would be the nice start, next startup I found uh, from a cost perspective for these transformer models. But as these LLMs become commoditized, in one sense, things are going to be closed off uh, in regards to who's... LLM you're going to use. There's only going to be so many and you might pick based on this one does coding better. This one does customer experience better. Yes. 
May I, Sorry. may I ask you, do you think we're going to enter the dark ages of AI, of information, because the crawlers will mm. have nothing to reach out to except for Capital One, Taylor Swift, Apple ads? <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, dark ages of information. I, what I am concerned about is like the election and, and generative AI's impact. And oh, the disinformation impact. piece, the other direction. Yeah, disinformation. Got it. Right. And, and and so so when I hear dark ages, that's where I go more on the sort of more than the commercial side of things. But but yes, I, I feel like um, that's where I know one of the things we're going to talk about in this conversation is AI governance and sort of legislative bodies or how we we wrap our heads around the right way to do things in regards to ethics and transparency. And so, yeah, you know how advertising works, how the information that is disseminated to us is calculated and teed up and consumed. All of that is up for change. Um, you know, when, when I think about Taylor Swift, actually, it makes me think this is the year of copyright lawsuits. I mean, we're going to start to have more cases almost go all the way to the Supreme Court about what is going on in AI models and data lineage. And, you know, maybe you have a poem or, you know, some song lyrics that were written that helped train a model and who, who owns that. Um, you know, it, oh, it, I, wow. I've seen Kanye West sing, um, <laughs> you know, you know, the Linda Carlisle songs with AI deepfakes and things like that. But and that's not really copyright infringement necessarily. But but when people have, you know, real creative content that, that's driving these models, um, data lineage is yeah. going to be really important. So I'm curious to see what kind of copyright lawsuits happen this year. I would not have had Taylor Swift and Kanye coming up in the first couple of minutes on my bingo card when we started this. So this is the beauty of Disrupt TV. You have no idea where the conversation's going. That's awesome. But but uh, let me expand on the LLM variations you spoke of, Frank. Um, recently, uh, in fact, I think it was uh, this week, uh, Accenture published their annual Tech Vision Report co-authored by Julie Sweet, CEO, and Paul Doherty, uh, Chief Technology Information Officer. And they spoke to four different types of LLMs in their trending of the next you know, few years. They talked about first companies training their own LLMs uh, yeah. from scratch. And you know, this is significant resources required. These are the hyperscalers and the Googles and the Metas and, and Amazons and so on and so forth. Then they talked about, as you mentioned, second option was fine tuning existing LLMs. Uh, so taking a more general LLM and adopting it to a domain by further mm -hmm. training and tweaking. The third uh, was, you also mentioned, uh, enterprises are beginning to fine tune smaller language models, mm -hmm. SLMs for specific use cases. And then lastly, they talked about, and they thought this could be a very popular approach of building an LLM advisor, was to ground pre-trained LLMs by providing them with more relevant use uh, use case specific information, typically through what they call retrieval augmented generation rack, mm -hmm. yeah. which is again, grounding an LM through this context learning gives much less time and, and compute power sensitive, and, but and it, it could be a more costly, cost uh, affordable way of, of training LMs from scratch uh, or, or fine tuning. Now you talked about governance, given the fact that you have all these different paths you can take um, and it looks like four distinct paths. Yeah. How, how do you advise clients when it comes to the topic of, you know, um, trust and, and, and governance? How, how do they approach not which which horse are they betting on? And it could be a hybrid approach. But what's the what's the what's the approach in terms of you advising clients? Yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, in all four of those paths that you sort of buckets that you spelled out. 
I'm very lucky and fortunate to work at Varant. I've seen all four in play, whether it's Langchain being used to help with RAG or whether it's, yeah. you know, really large bank financial services or telco companies saying we're going to have our own version of an LLM. Um, all are in play. And, and to your point, yeah, it's, it's the year of trust. You know, I, uh, you took the word right out of my mouth, Val. I, I say that to every client I speak with. It's about, um, and for me, because we focus on contact centers at Barrett, it's contact center level trust. And that does have a differentiator because um, contact centers can't really commoditize or have a commercial interest in making money off proprietary data because there's so many acronyms and regulatory bodies that govern what data we can store. You know this quite well, right, yeah, yeah. in regards to contact centers. So, so for us, uh, trust is around data lineage is a big piece of sort of where AI governance is going to go. So when you think about it, I often say there's like four swim lanes that you have to think about for my customers when they're using generative AI or LLMs. And it's, you have to be secure and compliant is sort of swim lane one, right? You have to make sure you're meeting all those acronyms. I mean, the EO just announced that with their AI act, it's something like 1.5 to 1.7% of revenue you get dinged with if you violate ethics and transparency acts. This just came out in December. And I still, you probably know more than me. I still haven't gotten fully under the hood on that, but I'm like, oh, wow, revenue component where you're going to be punished. So um, secure and compliant is important. Um, from a user experience, you know, I, I think we're back to looking at things from a design thinking perspective again. So is it extensible and shareable? Can you get it across your whole technology stack? Can you start with a human oriented experience and work your way back? Is the data validated and reliable? And is it consumable by multiple systems and also scrutable as opposed to inscrutable? If transparency, you know, you can no longer say things are black box, you know, not to kick dirt at IBM Watson. But think about the days when it was kind of like, this is just the neural net and this is how it's working. And we kind of know some things in regards to what's going on, but we don't know other things. And it, there's a little bit of magic in there that we can't really figure out. Um, we have to have total scrutability where you can really see the DNA and the full lineage of that data. So um, all of those things are in play, no matter which way you go. Um, and I think that the rise to tie back to predictions is this is the beginning of um, experts who have scar tissue, as Greg Larkin would say, as opposed to thought leaders with hypotheses, right? They're experts <laughs> in their particular field that are trying to get use cases solved for and experiences done with, with maybe with design thinking to sort of harken back to that. Um, that scar tissue is necessary. You need to have people in your tribe, in your, in your sort of consultancy where, hey, we've tried to do some things. We've, we've gotten whacked or dinged a little bit. And here's where the rubber meets the road and how we're going to try to change things. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see, too, who becomes the lead in AI governance. Where is that going to come from? Is that going to come from um, data governance companies who have traditionally sort of been in that world and cloud storage companies? Is it going to come from the public sector? Is it going to come from bodies like the EU? Um, so the who more than the what is also sort of on my mind as we start off 2024. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, your point on scar tissue and the folks that actually have the wounds and the experiences in doing this, mm -hmm. we gathered about a, a hundred uh, folks, like kind of ch almost chief AI officers to have a conversation mm -hmm. really about where we were. And it was actually shocking, right? This last year, everybody took and stole budget to do their AI POCs. This year, everybody has budget so that they can actually prove that maybe this is the year we actually get some benefit out of AI. But we trended out even further and we realized that next year is the year they realize that no one will have enough data to get to a level of precision their stakeholders will trust. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, wait, if we work backwards, right, what, what's gonna happen? Mm -hmm. And this notion of large language models, small models is getting us to this point where the first 80% of data is hard 
but that next 90% is just as hard. And that next 95% of data is even harder. Uh, yeah. So what do we do in that environment where we, you might get to this point where it's like, you know what, I'm only gonna get to 99% accuracy. You know, is that good enough? Well, yeah, you know, for contact center, probably. For yeah. procurement, no. For healthcare, yeah. never, right? So, so what, do you, what do you say? How do we get out of that mess? And can we model these things early enough to know, do we have to partner better with people or not? Or do we just not yeah. even do this AI project because we don't have enough data? Man, that's big there, right? So, you know, you partially answered with what I would say in regards to a lot of it's use case driven, right? Which you had at the end there, you know, what is, and if you think about AI, you can measure things in regards to accuracy. And I would say maybe three or four years ago, accuracy was number one, the clinical definition of accuracy, like related to language accuracy. But then you go to performance, which to me is a different way of looking at accuracy. Like, yep. is it getting the use case accomplished, right? And then to Vala's point, to me, now we're wrapping that in trust. And I, I don't think you can divorce any of the three things. And maybe it's almost like a, you know a, a, an equilibrium sort of dial where mm -hmm. you see, depending on the use case, which one you're tuning higher and lower. And, and that's why oftentimes I think we're, where the future is headed is that um, the people who are winning in this space are the ones who understand it's it's sort of like a conductor playing an orchestra. It's really about orchestrating experiences, technologies, mm -hmm. language models, and getting things in the puzzle to fit together. Um, so, you know, the reason why those folks with scar tissue can help answer how that equilibrium is going to work is because they've been trying to do it with multiple things over the course of the years of business transformation, digital transformation, whatever new piece of technology has come out. And some of those tried and true elements in regards to how to do business better are now just going to be super fueled. By, by this new technology, like any sort of you know industrial type of revolution. But like you described, if you're 80% of the way there with whatever commoditized LLM in that use case, you're gonna grab and then plug an API into, like anything done well, the elegant brilliance is in the last mile, right? It's always in that that last little piece yeah, where really. that's that's where the winners are gonna be, right? And so, so we're gonna be solving that together. Um, but, but yeah, you're spot on in regards to it being use case driven and designing backwards. I liked that as well. My, my experience, uh, you know, with the folks that are, um, that have scar tissue that are implementing in the contact center, um, there's the automation phase of, you know, introducing chatbots, recommendation builders, um, mm -hmm. case classifications in flow, article recommendation in flow. It's almost this learning that's happening in process. So the agent has, uh, additional contextual understanding of how to guide towards resolution. There's uh, there's the, the motion towards uh, assisted intelligence with case mm -hmm. classification, case routing, yeah. even case wrap up, yeah. uh, article recommendations, as I mentioned. And of course, the next best action optimization, conversational mining, uh, even tone and sentiment analysis with real time coaching that's in process. Mm -hmm. So in the contact center, I'm seeing... Um, you know, you have the assistant eventually growing into like a concierge type service yes. where you're getting additional information, not just what you asked for. Uh, so expanded net of goodness for the agent to be more productive, more useful. And then an assistant, uh, an agent uh, where you're not even asking, but the software is providing you things you need to know mm -hmm. in order to deliver a better service. Your thoughts about this this transition that's happening from a, an assistant to a concierge uh, 
and I'm using concierge like I expect a hotel to service me. Nice. I, ask them a, I ask them a question and they give me a broader, more rich answer. And then ultimately an assistant, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. an, an agent. Um, yeah. hey, what, are, I, what are your thoughts? I think, first of all, you're spot on with concierge. You got me excited and nodding about that because I, I consult with a hotel brand that has a digital concierge and that's what they call it. And it's really yeah. about... And they've even rolled it out to their luxury brands. And the treatment with a luxury brand is far different when you talk about a concierge experience for a customer compared to maybe what's going on at a non-luxury brand that's more utilitarian, not to sort of besmirch a non-luxury brand by any means. Um, but I, I think your your point, again, sort of dovetails nicely with Ray's in regards to use case driven and what you're trying to get out of it. And whether or not it's an assistant or a content Sherpa, you mentioned KM. Suddenly KM mm -hmm. is sexy again, right? Because yeah. Gen AI allows you to mine that crude in a different way and refine it and present yeah. it. And you know, yeah. two or three years ago, no one wants to talk about KM. And now KM's hot again. More just, hey, can I just make sure everything's in my KM? Because Gen AI can help me mine it and then surface it appropriately in the right kind of snack bite, as opposed to a full seven course, course meal of an article yeah. to help the agent get their job right. done. Um, I So... I think what's going to be interesting is the pliable platforms that allow you to have in a contact center environment, since that's where we're living in this example, to have different solutions for different folks. Because I, I don't think we're at a point where one AI conversation, AI platform at least, does all of those roles perfectly. And you yeah. might have a preference not just based on commercial interests, which is obvious, right? You might have a partner that says, let's use this one or an investor or what have you. But agent experience might matter. And one company might have a better agent experience for that agent coaching type of element. And maybe, you know, agent coaching is not suggested answers constantly. Like we already tried that in live chat, right? It's, you know, it, it, when, when contact centers tell me things like, hey, just having transcript, real-time transcription, cut average handle time by 40 seconds. We don't need coaching. I'm like, Sometimes it's the, the most simple thing that solved a huge ROI for a business case. But agent coaching for a diner in your hospitality reference, a five-star diner on Yelp that's near the property when the when the breakfast restaurant is having renovations, that's lovely. That's and that would be some yeah. great coaching to totally. present to the agent to help yeah. the experience. Um, so I think someone, again, to, to jump back into that word orchestration, a platform that allows you to sort of orchestrate those experiences with maybe different pieces of technology, even though everyone's forcing consolidation, because until someone says we are the AI platform, the preeminent AI yeah. platform, you can handle all those use cases, you might want to play and pilot and pivot and prove and try different things still um, to, to find what fits each use case. And Frank, when you yeah, do it see. well, when you do orchestration well, it yeah. almost feels like choreography. Yeah. Because the dancers on stage, they, when they hear the music or when they have the right data available to them, they know exactly where to stand and where to go next. So there's this natural flow where you can deliver value at the speed of need without a command and control when done well. It's just like you know, it's orchestration on, on steroids, you know? Yeah, uh, your, your yeah. customers don't want to be corralled like cattle. They do want right. to be danced through an experience, right. you know, right. so for sure. I love that. I love that. Wow, this is great. We're here with Frank Schneider, Vice President, AI Evangelist at Verant, and the former CEO at SpeakEasy AI. Really excited to have your thoughts, especially in terms of where you see the market moving in 2024. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. It was great Frank, to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank Take you, care. sir. That was a fast 20 minutes. I could have talked to Frank for another hour. <laughs> no, we never have enough time. <laughs> you never have enough time, and it's going to be the same for our next guest because he's a big mind. 
<laughs> Mark Minovich is an investor, UN advisor, AI advocate, disruptive innovator, co-chair of AI for the Planet Alliance, chair of the Executive Committee in External Affairs at AI for Good Foundation, senior advisor to BCG, president and general partner at Going Global Ventures. Mark dedicates uh, innovation efforts and AI knowledge to amplify capabilities and positive impacting climate change and social innovation agenda. Mark is an award-winning technology digital executive, leader of AI, digital transformation, CTO, CIO, CDO of communities, and has published two books. We're going to talk about his latest book, amazing book, over 40 articles on AI, future of work, climate change, industry, 4.0, and Internet of Things. Mark's most recent book, best-selling book, Our Planet Powered by AI, How We Use Artificial Intelligence to Create a Sustainable Future for Humanity. Mark is going to be at Davos talking on multiple panels about his best-selling book. You can follow Mark on Twitter at mminovich, M-I-N-E-V-I-C-H. Welcome, Mark, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much, Balan. Thank you very much, Ray. It's certainly an honor and a pleasure to be here with you, both of you guys. I follow and I quote uh, to you. clients and leaders around the world that are very impressed not only with the knowledge that you have, but humanity that we need to have. Humanity and appreciating people in this age of AI. And that's what I love to talk to you about. Thank you for having me. You're very kind. Well, hey, Thank we, you. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. And you know, we've been talking about uh, ethics. We're talking about implement, implications of AI. We're talking about you know, where that future might look like. Um, are there guardrails that we have to put in place that would be more mindful, that would actually wait or overweight more for tech for good or to the individual versus the system? Uh, where do you see that happening? Thank you, Ray. Well, everybody's talking about guardrails. You have President Biden talking about guardrails, Kamala, Vice President Kamala Harris, you know, this whole discussion at the World Economic Forum. I tend to think that the biggest guardrail that people miss is how we educate the system. We educate our kids based on strong values. And we need to educate, we need to make sure that the layer of data, you know, how we, how we input insights and information in the LLM and all the models have to be built on strong ethical principles and value, almost as we do for our, for our children and our kids. Of course, the second thing is I think we need a strong governing body. You know, not just something like FCC, uh, FDA. We need a strong one in the United States and we need a strong one for the world. I know what United Nations is trying to do in terms of number of committees, the high body, which they just established. But we need a really one with the teeth that really understands AI and, and focuses on how to promote responsible and ethical AI. And we need to make sure that we don't overregulate, you know, with all, uh, all the guardrails. Oh, I yeah. don't think, I go on record here, I don't think, that what European Union has done, an amazing, of course, they've done amazing work. They want to protect its citizens. And they've been doing this from GDRP uh, and other scenarios. But I think we have to balance this. We want to continue to do innovation, uh, open innovation. We want to have certain uh, certain regulations, but we don't want to over-regulate because if we over-regulate, we might kill the industry of young entrepreneurs and leaders. So we need to do all of this. We need to, most importantly, we need to be inclusive and diverse, get every single opinion that counts, not just from the science, but psychologists, ethicists, strategic people. AI is affecting every part of our life. You are an investor in this space, so you're helping entrepreneurs build 
incredible AI companies. You're advisor at the UN. I know you travel the globe. I follow your work where you're advising Fortune 100 uh, CXOs. We, we, follow each, we follow each other. We follow each other. Yeah, you're on the road more than I am, and you're in front of bigger audiences. This is your third book. <laughs> I want to jump right into it, uh, Our Planet Powered by AI. Two questions. Why did you decide to write your third book? Because all three of us know how hard it is to write a book. So this was oh, yeah. intentional struggle on your part. And then why is it time for AI to save the world? Yeah, so actually there are a couple of things bundled in your question, and, and I like the premise of your question. First of all, I've been inspired tremendously by my parents. My mother, who recently passed away in 2023, my father, who grew up in Eastern Europe, and what they've been through, you know, the challenges. And I've been inspired to say that you never give up. It is always follow your dream, whatever you goes. And so thanks to them, I follow and I follow the benefits of this uh, American dream. I follow their legacy. And I'm looking at the at what's happening in the market and I'm seeing corporate America. And I got to be careful where I'm talking to the folks in the corporate America space also. But I'm a maverick and I'll say what's on my mind. I think AI has been swallowed by corporate players. And, and what they focus, ferociously focus on is optimization and efficiency and it struck me that the world of AI, in the way it was designed in late 1950s and 1960s, when the whole thing is, can machines really think, need to be much more than efficiency. We need a sustainable, resilient world. Our planet is burning. It's suffering right now. The humans are not getting things that they need to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel that they're bringing value. And I think you need to repurpose and position the mission of AI to focus on solving the greatest challenges and problems that humanity is throwing at us, not only at climate, but health-related stuff. People are getting cancers, they're getting deadly diseases. I want this to be the top priority. I don't want corporate efficiency and the way you, the best, most efficient design for the LLM on the RAG model to be that. I think 95% of it right now is very solutions and applications driven. But what about the rest of the world, the folks in India, the folks in Southeast Asia, the folks in the Middle East? You know, they deserve this all-inclusive, sustainable future. And that's why I've written this book. So you believe AI is a human right. You believe that all, all stakeholders, whether it's public or private, should think bigger, be more bold, and leverage this powerful innovation that has revealed itself to all of us in the last four or five years to tackle the jobs to be done that have the highest impact for society? I do. I, I think, uh, I think uh, it is the, is the time, Vala, uh, for AI to save the world. And I know this message came out from our friends, venture capitalists, uh, uh, from Andreessen and, and, and Horowitz. Yep. But I, I really believe in that. I think in 2022, AI gave us something. It brought something amazing to this world, ChatGPT. Now we have this enormous interest and, and we have the significant threats we're seeing. I just came back from, from the COP in Dubai, Cl climate threats, flood threats, fires and everything else. And I think now we take the opportunity that AI is giving us and we use every resource and creativity around the world to make sure that AI really could solve some of those problems. And I think, you know, we're, I'm not there to replace uh, to replace human beings. I think we are the ones that need to be driving this. I really like the model in Japan when I was there in 2019 at the G20 summit. 
when they spoke about society 5.0. I think this is the right model for the world to adopt. The world where humans are driving this agenda for sustainable, resilient economy and technologies and innovations is helping us to uh, commercialize this, to make sure that we use this on an everyday basis. When we wake up in the morning, when our kids wake up, when, it, when we drive them to school, when we travel all over the world, we need concierge. For example, the previous guest, he spoke about concierge. I really like the concept of concierge, but if we are traveling, let's say, Ray, we're traveling to Davos, so anywhere else we're traveling, I don't want this old model where we go on Expedia and put information in. It's static. What about just immediately getting updates? Please be careful, Mark. There's an issue going on there. There's a there's a warning, or you may want to change your hotel, or plans have changed. We want concierge to follow us every single place where we go, kind of be part of our life. We still drive that, but they be part of our life. That's what I think is going to happen. And by the way, I think we're in a very interesting time now in 2024. I'm taking my technical head on. We're in the convergence space. Generative AI, which doesn't have full reasoning, in my opinion, doesn't have deeper understanding. It has bigger models and is able to get a lot of content and information over the last 20, 30 years that existed. But now we bring in the cognitive aspects that Professor Jan LeCun and others are speaking about mm. that has reasoning and understanding and synthesis. And now in 2024, we're going to have something there. I don't think it's AGI, but I think we're going to have something incredible there where the systems are going to be able to think for themselves. No. God knows you and Ray need concierge when you're both at Davos next week. Believe me, we need more. We probably need more than concierge. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. We're going to need a lot of help with snow. Uh, if, if yeah, I understand. yeah, right. But, but, but there, there is something that's going on here, right? I mean... A lot of these models, a lot of these businesses, um, they're built in a way just to satiate that never-ending need for data. And so are we in a rat race uh, for that data? Or how do we get out of the rat race or become more of a tiger? Uh, what's, what's required for us to stay above the fray? And you mentioned about this need for you know, having this you know, more oversight to be tech for good and more um, towards the individual, protecting the individual. There's no rules or legislation there, nor do we have large organizations that are ready to move in that direction. What can we do to create that catalyst to have people say, you know, let's decentralize. This is the individual's data. You want access, you need permission. And you know what? You could do value exchange, monetary, non-monetary. Yeah, uh, Ray, we, we live in a the, in the market-driven economy. I think many things have worked really well for us, especially in Silicon Valley, where you are market-driven economy. So I think if mm -hmm. we act as entrepreneurs and individuals and really follow, for example, Shoshana Zuboff, I remember 2023, yep. th 20, 2003, sorry, she came out with this book saying it's all going to be about communities and federations where if you do something great, you're going to get brownie points. You're going to be rated. Like, for example, you go to the physician and you rate a physician on rate MD or any other type of board. So I think the more we have a handle on what's going on with AI systems and now different types of AI platforms, the more we're going to be in control. We don't want to necessarily, in my opinion, rely on just government control entities. We should have some, but we shouldn't have it for everything. And I agree with you. I think this AI revolution that is in front of us is offering us opportunity to avoid this rat race. If you want to be in the corporate side, fantastic. You can be on the corporate side. But I chose my path. You know, over uh, 12 years ago, I said, I want to wake up and I want to be able to do things that I want to do uh, in the morning when I wake up. I want to be in control of my life. 
And I think AI now gives you the capability to have millions and millions of cognitive nomads. I wouldn't even call them digital nomads all over the world, creating things, digital <laughs> creators, nomads. you know, cognitive nomads. They're, and they live outside of this comfort zone of, of the corporate side. And so I think it's great to get all this knowledge, get all this quest, be active, uh, but make sure that you support our environment, our planet, our planet Earth, which is, again, we only human beings have been on a planet for 200,000 years. The planet has existed for billions of years. Let's let's do planet justice and protect the planet with everything that we have and enjoy it to the fullest. And that's kind of been my philosophy uh, for years. And I've been using this philosophy to work and provide my advice and pro not only advice, there's a lot of advisors all over the world. There's lots of consulting companies. <laughs> I don't want to be just a consulting company. I think there's <laughs> lots of people that could provide strategic viewpoints into implementation because this year, I think Val and Ray, you mentioned this, we're moving AI as just knowledge management or just getting information into action. Let's push AI into action, but action in sustainable and resilient planet. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in large action models. Uh, uh, so ultimately, I want wisdom converted to impact. And you've done that. For example, I want you to talk about, uh, you know, how you initiated AI for the planet initiative with the United Nations to leverage AI to fight climate change. And maybe you can talk about how you were able to successfully implement the in, 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 initiative and then perhaps some concrete examples of AI technologies to fight against climate change. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, what happened uh, was everybody at you, everybody was talking about. There are people coming to Davos, as you know, Ray, and all over all major events, and they're saying we got to do so much for our planet, yep. our climate, yep. climate health. And every single time you have corporate executives saying we have so much money, you know, uh, more money than God. Like uh, the BlackRock chairman says, and we don't know where to put this money. We don't know which buckets, where do we put this money? So we had conversations with UN agencies, uh, UNDP and UNESCO and others. And we said, what could we do, which is practical and realistic? Let's not have another program. Let's not have another white paper, but let's actually have a list. Let's identify all the leading solutions and startups, weather related, uh, agriculture related, space related technologies, whatever the mm. case may be. And let's bring them all together. Let's have some, some mechanism through the United Nations. So we collected, we aggregated uh, hundreds of those uh, platforms and solutions across the world. And then we conveyed a summit last year in New York to showcase the leading ones, the ones that could actually take it to the action, you know, uh, making better predictions for farmers, uh, for, rural, uh, for rural America, for people that are suffering from deadly diseases. So we have done this. And uh, to be honest, uh, there are some incredible things that are happening. Energy efficiency optimization. I think what we're seeing is AI could really now optimize energy in so many sectors. In buildings, AI algorithms yeah. are now controlling heating, ventilation. Smart grid management is another big area. Precision agriculture, which I spoke about, <laughs> minimizing the use of water, fertilizers, pesticides, climate modeling and storage, uh, CCS technologies are on the rise research conservation, waste reduction, sustainable transportation. Everybody's talking about electric vehicles. I think, Vali, you brought this out on the previous show. Battery performance, ecosystem of wildlife protection. So when we start building that model of all the different systems around, we have something substantial to talk about. And we have identified the specific companies that are actually solving problems in Malaysia, uh, Southeast Asia, and South America using those types of models. 
I can't wait for you and Ray to meet in person in Davos. You two are putting a dent in the universe and you need to combine forces. Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm literally looking forward to it. And uh, we're here with Mark Minovich, the Chief Digital and Ad Strategist, Global Social Innovation Technology Executive and Chair, UN Advisor, Private Investor, Author, Columnist, and his newest late book is Our Planet Powered by AI. If you're at Davos, you'll get to see a live conversation with him, but I'm sure we're going to pass each other on a promenade. So thank you for being on the show. <laughs> Thank, you, Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Safe travel. See you there. He is a mover and a shaker, and he's doing some big, big work. Um, and this is, if you're a baseball fan, this is our cleanup hitter spot where we get a, a Hall of Famer come in and hit a grand slam, and there's no exception here. We're here with Dr. W. Russell Newman, author of Evolutionary Intelligence, How Technology Will Make Us Smarter. Dr. Newman is professor of media technology at NYU. Dr. Newman served as a senior policy analyst in the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, working in the areas of information technology, broadband policy, and international security. Dr. Newman led the Evans Chair of Media Technology at the University of Michigan, taught at the University of Pennsylvania, where he directed the Information and Society Program of the Annenberg Public Policy Center. Dr. Newman also taught at Harvard and Yale and was the founding faculty of the MIT Media Laboratory. Dr. Newman has authored, Ray, you ready for this? 14 books, co-authored and authored Whoa. 14 books. And we're here to learn today about evolutionary intelligence's latest book, How Technology Will Make Us Smarter. Welcome, Dr. Newman, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Well, let me, really let me play the, uh, the, the cleanup batter role and make a comment <laughs> I was fascinated by Frank's most specific and strongest prediction, which was that the systems would be closed in the future. Our systems would be increasingly closed. I think the key there is to say, perhaps on the copyright and content side, people will want credit for access to that. And that's one sense of closed, which makes sense to me. But you realize these scientists have been sharing the uh, gradient design and the attention is all you need uh, mathematics. So I'm hoping that the fundamental key scientific and mathematical uh, principles that have been discovered and shared will continue to be. I think that's really important and that, that will be a global phenomenon. So and you're a, 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 strong, a, strong, a strong advocate of open source model when it comes to the pillars or foundational elements of building these smart systems. Follow, let me, if you've got a system with a trillion parameters, how do you under, how do you share that? You say, well, let me look at the first 200 of them, and then I'll guess it. I mean, some of these models have are there's just there's no way that they can be open because they can't be fully comprehended yet. The way we're going to understand these models is using AI to understand AI, and we're just getting uh, Sam Altman has been promising that that's one of their top top priorities. Uh, no, it's a great point. And actually, challenge, which is how do we how do we use AI to make the planet more aware of the costs and the limits to sustainability? And I got a one-word answer to that, which is dashboards. If we if somebody has a dashboard that says the thing you just did costs so much in either carbon or electricity usage or something else, let's let's make it. And as people become aware of the costs that they're entailing, I think, and that's a case of using AI and, and, and IoT sensors around the world to try to keep track of, of what we're doing. 
I'm the professor here, so I got to ask you guys a question. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what, was, what, was the, what was the energy cost for creating with 25,000 NVIDIA H1s, uh, A1s, the uh, GP, G, GTP4? What did it cost in watt hours? Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm ashamed to say I'm, a, I'm, a electric, I'm an electrical engineer, undergraduate. 7.2 billion watt hours. That was 100 days <laughs> and 25,000 chips cooking all day long, 24 hours a day. So uh, even creating these large language models, which are mathematical abstractions, uh, have a tremendous impact on the environment. So that's where oh, we, it is that's actually dashboards. <laughs> it, it actually seems that the most efficient model right now is sitting right here. We eat you three bet. meals a day and actually oh, yeah, process even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but hey, yeah. But, but, but little, back to something earlier, in the morning, right? a little bourbon at night, and we're all set. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in, we're in. But 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 actually related to that, right? So just on how open or closed systems are, right? When, when we trend looking towards the future, uh, we we actually believe that. Uh, there's going to be copyright protection and patent protection and IP protection in timeframes of maybe a millisecond. This goes back to the general rule and maybe something might last 20 years, right? And some knowledge gets returned back to the public good and some knowledge like might be you get a five-year license or a 20-year license. Those categories haven't been created, but we actually think that that may be the model to keep from creating these dark ages of the internet. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Uh, let me... Let me back up one step and say we've been talking this this, this phrase agi for uh, human level or uh, artificial general intelligence and the notion is our model of being intelligent is the human and i want to challenge that with 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 great energy <laughs> it seems to me that we we were we're smart enough to know how limited and how biased and how full of error our capacity for predicting the future is and i think we ought to model a model of intelligence that compensates for the relatively well understood uh, patterns of human cognition where we, we're confident if we've got a, a hunch about what's going to happen, we look for evidence of our hunch and ignore all the contrary evidence. And I think the job, <laughs> a very important job of AI is to be correcting and, and just reminding us from time to time uh, of our own errorful ways. Uh, your, okay. uh, your book, you write about we need to think about big picture when it comes to AI. Yeah. So what is the big picture that perhaps many of us are uh, failing to see? Well, if you think about, uh, uh, Mark had mentioned that we'd been on the earth uh, for 200,000 years and the earth mm -hmm. is uh, 4.8 billion years old. So all of these inventions, if you take the history of earth <laughs> or history of humanity on earth, uh, all these technologies and you, you can combine them into a 24-hour play all of this stuff shows up in the last five seconds of a 24-hour play these things are very recent and what we what we we've done so far is adapted to the fact that we've been on the earth for as as modern humans for 200,000 years but we've only been living in places and not hunting and gathering living in small villages and towns for 10,000 years We've only had written language for 5,000 years. Uh, we've had mechanical, the industrial revolution for now a couple hundred years. Uh, this is the next change. Uh, we had communications that allowed us to communicate around the globe, machines that allowed us to transport ourselves around the globe. Now we've got machines that can make us 
think better, think smarter. Got it. Now you talk about related to this, uh, the fact that, you know, the way we look at, you know, the capacity of intelligence, it's going to change from just being located in one area, like an exterior device, and then become more intertwined with our perception, our communication, the different effects. Uh, what, what will happen when we get to that point? Does that change our perspective of reality? Does that change our perspective of uh, what humanity is? Okay, I'm not prepared fully to uh, predict how these forms, what the human computer interaction will ultimately, uh, ultimately take. But if you think about it, as humans, we've developed the capacity for seeing and as perceiving light, for hearing, but we aren't able as some fish and birds are to be able to perceive electromagnetic radiation, radio waves. And now all of us are walking around with a radio wave perceiver in our pocket. And as our computers move from room size to tabletop to laptop to handheld, uh, our computers will become part of what we're wearing, our clothes. I think there will be a version of smart glasses, ultimately perhaps smart contacts. And so as we're looking at the world around us, we'll have a capacity to uh, test our hunch as to what the best bet is to be. Should I put uh, another $20 down on that lottery ticket? Uh, <laughs> and then I'm reminded that the chances of being hit twice by lightning in one year are higher than me winning that lottery. And I go, well, maybe I should. Powerball is so attractive. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. OK, so we, we all improve our math probability and statistics skills. That's awesome. Uh, Dr. Newman, my son is 13. So by the time he leaves grad school, he'll be 25, so 12 years. And then I would assume in the next 10 years, I'll be a granddad. So 25 years from now, you've taught at NYU, at Harvard, at Yale, at MIT. Do you have a sense of what education would look like 10, 15, 20 years from now? If Elon has a Neuralink implanted or a smart lens, all the students can now surf the web by just blinking and uh, thinking about the questions they have. What's the experience of higher education 20 years from now? You know, the current model of higher education with the physical sciences, the social sciences, and the humanities was established in the 1870s. Yeah. And there's only been one new department added to the typical university, and that's computer <laughs> science. And my prediction is there's going to be one more adjunct to the computer science department, which is called data science. Mm. And that uh, our capacity to use these tools to understand the breadth of data that's now available to us. You know, all these things were happening around the world all this time. And you'd have to go over to France or over to Japan to find out what was going on. Now we've got sensors giving us feedback all the time. The challenge is to make sense of a trillion inputs. And that's going to take a lot of programming and a, a very sophisticated application of AI. No, some great stuff uh, in terms of that conversation. Well, let me ask you a real question about um, dangers of AI. Where do you sit on that? You tend to be more of a optimist uh, than a pessimist. Very much so. Um, but people always, people always ask if it will destroy humanity or not. What do you think? Well, we have uh, among our uh, active speakers on this issue, one Eliezer Yadkowski, who has promised <laughs> and, and basically within about 60 to 120 seconds of a conversation with him, he's going to end with a phrase, and it will kill us all. Um, and I, I welcome his voice among others. And he has a concept that this super intelligent AI system will have agency and will be faster and smarter than us and will fool us and take over and turn us all into paperclips or, or worse. 
I don't know what's worse than bigger dick. Uh, and uh, there, I think, are there are two errors in that model, and I think his his urging for caution and care is well received. But the, you don't get smarter in 15 seconds without new data. So a super intelligent mm -hmm. Uh, system that's programming itself can only get smarter if it's got the capacity to interpret and make sense of new data, and that takes time. So this notion that in five seconds it will become exponentially smarter, I think, is an error of logic and understanding how these systems work and how they gain functionality. And the second is human beings grew up, I mean, evolved in a period where they were competing with other human beings and other animals for scarce resources. So the notion that some human being would go over and uh, take over, <laughs> start start taking over the resources of a neighboring tribe uh, is part of our history. Uh, and it turns out that computers didn't grow up that way. They didn't, uh, your computer doesn't want to eat your lunch. Uh, there's no reason to assume that computers are going to have this kind of uh, uh, zero sum orientation unless we program that into the computer and central argument of my book about evolutionary intelligence is here's a chance to correct rather than simply replicate human thinking. Well, so I'm hoping King of Doomers, Yakowski uh, <laughs> is 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 not is actually uh, not necessarily correct as to where, where this is all going to go because you know other super intelligences are not going to try to compete with us because they've already realized they're smarter. <laughs> Could be the summary here. So. Well, I'm I'm just nervous that Ray is having folks programming a replacement for me as a co-host, and it's going to be right <laughs> around the corner. I know it. I know it. Uh, there'll be a Bala GPT that's going to join Ray in the future. Um, okay, so you, you you've obviously are an incredible, brilliant writer. You've written 14 books, which tells me you find joy in sharing your wisdom, writing really important books. Um, because it is an incredibly difficult process, in my opinion, <laughs> and I've only done two. Um, what do you want the readers to, to, to take away from your 14th book? Um, and, and, and what motivated you to, to write the book? Uh, basically, the takeaway of evolutionary intelligence is that you've heard a lot about these systems that are complicated and, uh, and have independent uh, agency and therefore can't be controlled. So they're scary and you back off. And my book is an invitation to understand how these algorithms work. I think we, it, it's, it's capable, to, it's easy to understand the basic functionality that AI represents. We see algorithms all around us in, in the world today. So the question is, can we control our technology or are we just going to back off, be passive and let it control us? So we don't need to do that. That's, that's my takeaway. Terrific. 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 So, uh, and then related to that, I mean, when you think about the ethics and guardrails that we were talking about before, is that out of the range of human imagination to think of what those could be, or are those going to be created by the AI? Uh, the, the, the term guardrail is a physical metaphor. It works for bump -bum cars and automobiles. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't work for math. Uh, the notion of having a guardrail of, uh, on a mathematical algorithm strikes me as a awkward metaphor. And the notion that we could have a law that says you're not able to take the cube root of that number because we don't we're we're not sure what you're going to find uh, strikes me as uh, equivalent to trying to nail Jello to the wall. Uh, not an not an appropriate metaphor 
So I'm, I'm thinking uh, the best way to move forward is transparency as much as we can can demand of our 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 our, our the people in the private sector and in the public sector, and uh, basically hope that we're able to design AI systems that will be able to explain themselves so that we're 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 co-pilots with them, uh, not subjected to them. So that's so that logic has to be somehow built in. I mean, how do you in a deep yeah. neural network, how do you can is, is that possible today? Because it seems like uh, explainability is quite a challenge, uh, given, as you mentioned, the number of dimensions that are being uh, analyzed concurrently to recommend uh, 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 or have an output to even a simple prompt. And related to what Paul is saying is if even if you can do the explainability, can you handle the reversibility as well? So um, I have a theory about why we worry and we characterize these things this way. And it goes back to 1955 and that summer day in Dartmouth, New Hampshire, when John, oh, John. basically <laughs> came up with the term artificial intelligence. And for the next 60 years, uh, John and his students and others we're frustrated by the difficulty and nobody could take artificial intelligence seriously. So what the early researchers did is they said, let's think of it as a intelligence that's out there that is as smart as we are, can be as smart as we are. Let's have them play chess and checkers and, and Jeopardy. And so it came up with this concept that it's out there and separate and competing. And my notion uh, goes back to Douglas Engelbert, who invented the computer mouse, as you may recall. Yeah. Yeah. He said, no, let's make it augmented uh, intelligence to augment mm. human intelligence. The purpose here is to design it in as our assistant, uh, not as our overlord. Great, 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 great. Thanks. A lot of Dr. Stuff. Newman, you've hit a grand slam. That ball left the park with that. <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I predicted this is going to happen, and it did. Thank you so much for your, your shared wisdom, and congratulations on your 14th book. Thank you We're so much. There's going to be some more ball games to play in. So uh, keep practicing. <laughs> well, well Dr. Said, Russell well Newman, said. author of Evolutionary Intelligence, How Technology uh, Will make, it, make Us Smarter, and the founding faculty of the MIT Media Library. And of course, he served as senior policy analyst in the White House OSTP. So thank you for being here, Dr. Newman. Ray, I'm just, you and I are just trying to uh, hang jello on a wall with a nail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to use the word guardrails ever again. Uh, I think I'm I often, not either. <laughs> I often say a river without boundaries is a puddle, but I will keep away from guardrails. <laughs> because that picture of hanging jello with nail is going to forever stay with me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you just please do us a favor and summarize what we just heard in a minute? I think we should have Bard do it um, next episode. If Al could feed all the answers into a language model in real time, give us an answer, that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> so we're going to go from lambs to lamb. Um, but no, look, Frank, what Frank Schneider was talking about was really important, right? We are seeing a shift. LMs are being applied. Enterprises are definitely using LMs going forward. Uh, and I think in a variety of, of ways. Like, yeah, yeah. In variety and, of and it's not just one model, right? I mean, market yeah. uh, model marketplaces are going to take precedence. Uh, we talked about data collectives moving to the future, and organizations are going to have to partner uh, to use that data and figure out how to use that for good. Um, what we talked to Mark, I think what we started to understand was that there's a lot going on in terms of trying to find you know, the, the right level of 
how do we tune this uh, to actually be more for the right levels, right? Today, large organizations have a lot of power. It's centralized. Well, we get to a point where tech for good is decentralized, where we find a way to think about, you know, how we use this, you know, for, for other uses. Right now, I mean, to be quite honest, if we were to run all the AI models we need to replace humans or to replace automobiles and EVs or to replace systems, hmm. we don't have enough power, right? It, it, it is very inefficient. And so we'll probably find a way to, to get to that. But but I think what we really got to with Dr. Newman was really a, a different understanding that, hey, it isn't as bad as the world looks like it's going to be. But more importantly, what we really have to think about is that, you know, how do we find the balances um, between what we're trying to achieve with AI and how humanity has defined AI? And I think we, we got that towards the end of the conversation, which is, right, we're, we're really not trying to replace or replace humans. We're really inventing something new here. There's something out there that's a little bit more, more than what AI was supposed to be. Uh, and it's very, very different from humanity. And are there ways to collect correct flaws in humanity in this new type of intelligence. You don't really want to design something really bad more quickly, more faster. You know, that, that's not where you want to go. Is there a way to actually take what we do know and create maybe a super intelligence? I don't think he said that, but a, a, a way to get to a level of super intelligence that maybe corrects for our flaws. It makes us better overall, right? Raises and elevates the level of humanity. So, so I think we got a lot out of AI today in these three amazing guests. I agree. I agree. I know the the optimist may sound smarter, but in the long run, it's the pessimists that create. It's the optimists that create the world. And all three guests, Frank, Mark, and Doctor, uh, they're all optimists. They're they're uh, you know they're uh, they have an optimistic view of emerging technology. And I think uh, Doctor Newman's book really speaks to that. Um, and obviously, Mark and Frank are putting a dent in the universe by having skin in the game as entrepreneurs, as investors, um, and folks that are shaping policies at organizations like the UN. Okay, next Friday, we're uh, episode 349. We're getting close to that 350 mi uh, milestone episode. Wow. We have Larry Chinsky, Vice President, Global IAM Strategy at One Identity. We have Elisa Van Dam, Vice President for Allyship and Inclusion at Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership. And we have Susan McCanty Brady, founding CEO of the Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. We look forward to connecting with you a week from now. And thank you for watching. See you, everybody. Happy Friday.